If you've followed the business world in any way, you know one of the hottest areas for investment these days is in gaming. And if you're thinking about gaming or you're looking to invest in gaming or you just like gaming, you gotta get into eSports. It is hot. The numbers are absolutely phenomenal. Let me share with you some of the numbers. Esports in 2019 was a $1.4 billion industry. The market size of the gaming industry in general is $152 billion. There are hundreds of millions of players. For example, there's 176 million players plus playing Minecraft right now. Honor of Kings, there are 200 million plus players. And there are dozens of other games that have 50 to 75 to 100 million players. And these people invest to be in tournaments. They take home big money prizes. And it is one of the fastest growing industries. I want to take you inside this industry. This is the Inside BS Show. So today I have Ben Pfefferman with me. He is the CEO and founder of Amuka Esports. They're Canada's leader in esports venues, in esports leagues, and esports tournaments. They run the largest gaming arena in Canada, and they produce over 300 esports events a year. And the big news is they just announced a new competitive esports team, Parabellum Esports, and it'll be competing in eight or nine different games. Now, this may all seem like Greek to you. That's why we have Ben here. He's going to break it down for us. He's going to explain it to us from the ground floor all the way up. And by the end of our time together today, my hope is that you feel great about jumping on the esports bandwagon and getting involved in esports in some way. So please join me right now as we welcome Ben Pfefferman to the Inside BS Show. Ben, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. I have been so into learning more and more about esports that I'm thrilled to have you, Canada's number one esports guy, with us today. So thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's talk about esports because a lot of the listeners that we have here on the show are not familiar with esports. They won't know what esports is. So fill them in on esports. In the intro, I gave all the industry stats and stuff. But but tell us what. So when we talk about esports, is it gaming? Is it more than that? Give us the give us the uh, the ground floor intro to esports. Yeah, my pleasure. So esports really at its at its core is playing video games competitively. Uh, that could be, you know, in a beer league, you know, with some friends for, for five or 10 bucks, or it could be in front of 100,000 people with prize pools that are now exceeding 30 or 40 million dollars. Um, so the esports is really that focus on the competitive part. And then when people say gaming, that's just the overall video game industry, which is a much, much larger industry. In 2020, they're estimating it to be about $160 billion. Um, and that's, that's the biggest difference between the two. Okay. So what's the, what's the hottest game right now for, for esports competition? Yeah, right now we're seeing... Tough question, but uh, I'd probably say a game called Valorant, which is uh, created by Riot Games. Um, it's a five-person sort of tactical shooter game. 
it's very popular. So we run a lot of tournaments and we run tournaments based on what people want. And, you know, that's definitely been the most asked game. Uh, probably number two would be, you know, maybe a game like League of Legends or Fortnite would probably be our top three. Okay, so let's talk first and foremost about your business and your business model, and then we can talk about um, your exciting new announcement with your team. You you have an esports arena, right? It's an actual venue. Tell people what that is, and you host over three hundred events a year there. Explain how that works. Yeah, um, so we have a fourteen thousand square foot venue. Uh, there's over 50 PC stations and another 20 or 30 console stations, and there's a huge stage area. So just picture, um, you know, you're on stage, there's people competing. We have casters just like you have in traditional sports. So if, if Dave, you're playing, uh, you know, you're playing a sports game, they would say, uh, oh, Dave, uh, dumps the puck in or Dave, great jump shot. You know? So, you know, what we do here is we give you that professional gaming experience because otherwise, you know, you can play games at home. Why, why leave your house to play? Um, so it really comes down to that competitive experience. And um, that's for both people to play and for people to come and watch. Okay. So when people come and watch, do you have like a, like a jumbotron and they can see the current game that's going on and like five people over here on one team at five stations right there. And then there's five people over here on another team. So it's, it's set up like that. You nailed it. That's exactly it. We have a 180 inch TV uh, screen right in the middle. And then on each side, you have both teams. So whether it's a 5v5 game or even 1v1, they're set up. And then sort of off to the side, we have a casting booth that can cast and then see the action in the screen. And then we have a live production station um, over on the other side. So then we can run all the events and stream them online on platforms like Twitch and YouTube. Okay, so explain to uh, to the folks who are listening. Tell us what your what your business model is, because I I, I went back in uh, preparing for the interview and I saw some you know cool footage of you doing an interview uh, with your capital company when you were I guess you were just looking at starting investing in esports. So explain to us what your business model is, and then you know take us through how you got involved in it. Yeah, sure. So at the venue, um, there's probably four main revenue lines. One is memberships. So people pay uh, $50 a month to be a member to come here and play in game. Uh, the other is tournaments. So exclusive of your membership fee, um, you, you pay to compete in a tournament, whether it's a weekly tournament or even some of the big major tournaments, you have to pay a, um, a tournament fee or registration fee. Sponsorship is probably one of our biggest revenue generators. It actually accounts for almost 60 to 70% of the revenue in the esports industry. And we're, we're fortunate to work with great companies like Seagate and Corsair. You know, I'm always repping the, repping the Corsair. <laughs> um, Ubisoft, Red Bull, you know, companies like that. And uh, the last is food, beverage, and merchandise. So that's, it's also a big part of it. Uh, but just even outside the venue, you know, we do all of our events right online. Uh, we have a whole media division. We're creating esports content and we're licensing it to different TV networks. And um, yeah, the next real iteration is our new, we're launching a new team, competitive and content creation team. All right. So a lot of people are going to be shocked to uh, to realize how huge watching competitions, esports competitions can be. Um, give us some context, help folks understand, because my, my kids are nine and 12 
and you know I'll walk by the TV and they'll have and they'll have it looks like uh, it looks like they're playing a game and they're actually watching people play games and they're super into it. Explain how intense this is. What what's the size of just the viewing market these days? Yeah, sure. So right out of the gate, you know, there's a lot of people who think it's weird that people watch other people play video games. And I think that stigma is really going to change. Like, does anyone think it's weird that people watch other people play football? Totally normal. So um, I think at the end of the day, that model is going to change and people are going to understand that that competitive game players have a tremendous amount of skill and you're watching people that are good and skilled at something that you play recreationally. And, and that's the, the that's what you're doing. Um, audience is the biggest part of this industry. Um, you know, the League of Legends, one of the biggest games, it's, it's final two years ago, had a viewership higher than the Super Bowl, as an example. Right. So we're talking pretty astronomical numbers um, and it's really it, and truly global. I mean, a lot of traditional sports are sort of uh, set in different markets and different regions. Uh, esports transcends the globe. Um, but I think the challenge that we're going to see is, you know, Dave, if you and I were to go to um, a, ba a, tr a baseball game, you know, even if we weren't baseball fans, we could follow the action. Right. If you and I went to an Overwatch game, like you wouldn't know, no offense, but like you probably wouldn't know what's going on as right. a first timer. No, exactly. You're exactly right. So I think the broadcasters um, and the tournament organizers have to do a better job to create a viewing experience that anyone who doesn't know anything about the game can sit in, have a beer, watch the tournament and have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that is really intriguing about this these days is uh, as we record this and uh, as you're listening to it, we're still in the in the middle of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic you can be into esports and be completely and totally safe. <laughs> you can, the competitors can be socially distant. They don't have to be on top of each other. There, there doesn't have to be any contact. The spectators can watch wherever they want to watch from and they'll be, and they'll be completely, uh, completely safe and socially distant. You know, Ben, I went to, a, I participated in, I went to a seminar and participated in a day long seminar at, uh, I live in Miami at Marlins Park. Uh, it's gotta be like 18 months ago now. And there were uh, folks there from all four of the major uh, sports leagues. And it was basically to the, to the Miami business community and the tech investment community that's down here. Uh, it was an intro into eSports. And everyone from each of the major sports leagues who spoke was really high on um, eSports uh, being uh, kind of I guess they're offering licenses to professional sports teams. Explain how that works to the to the folks who are listening. So is there like an e version of the Pittsburgh Steelers and they compete in like Madden or something? How does that work? Yeah, uh, the only sort of league that's set up like that right now is the NBA. The NBA has their own 2K league. Um, I'm Toronto, so the Raptors uprising, you know, they have their own team and each NBA franchise can have their own team in the league. Uh, in other titles, that doesn't exist. It's open. It's a more open format. Um, I think it's NBA is a little bit different because it tends to be played as a 5v5 game mm -hmm. where other sports games tend to be 1v1. So it's kind of harder to franchise that type of thing. Um, 
But I think at the end, even if it's not directly to their related to their sports, a lot of sports owners own esports teams. Um, Jerry Jones of uh, the Dallas Cowboys is in complexity, and Bob Kraft of the Patriots uh, has an Overwatch franchise. So we're seeing all that crossover between sports sports owners now owning esports franchises. And what is the so you uh, you just formed your own team, right? Tell us it's Parabellum Esports, right? Tell us a little bit about Parabellum Esports, and then I really want you to talk about like the training and the level of intensity, and do you recruit players? So give tell us about Parabellum first, and then I'll get into like the hundred questions I have about that. Okay, good. We haven't we haven't released the name yet, so I hope this isn't going to come out for a few days. No, no, no it won't come out. Until, uh, this is coming okay. out January second, so you're good. Okay, so we've long so we, announced. We broke yeah. news. Yeah, that's you great. know for you actually know before really everyone else. Uh, we haven't even leaked the name yet. So, um, yeah, so yeah, it's going to be called Parabellum. It's the Latin word which really means get ready for war um, or prepare for it. And uh, you know, our focus is really on the drafting part you know we want to scout and develop new and upcoming both professional players and content creators and just to explain to the audience a lot of teams um, both have a competitive side as you, you know compete in tournaments and leagues but they also have a side that is really just entertainment people who are streaming playing video games online for the entertainment factor and they're still associated with a team so parabellum is going to be a that hybrid a mix of of eight or nine competitive rosters. And we're looking to have about um, 10 co full-time content creators as well. Wow. Okay. So now when you say uh, content creators, what, what does that mean in, in terms of esports? Yeah. So these are people that, you know, <laughs> maybe every day uh, will get online on, on platforms like Twitch or YouTube or Facebook gaming. They're going to play video games, sometimes the same game, sometimes bunch of different games and their fans watch engage subscribe it's like their own show you, you know a content creator will have their own four-hour show every night where they play they talk to their fans it's engaging and i think that's the difference like in pro sports uh dave wh what's your favorite sports team just so i can work in the uh, analogies here i'm a huge yankee fan a new huge new york yankee fan okay so uh i'm not here <laughs> aaron judd right uh, right right judge. go ahead okay. so um you know after the game, you don't really have an opportunity to engage with him anymore, right? Yeah. And even so, that's the difference. Is a lot of these these players, even they're competitive, will go on stream and play and talk to their fans, and it's just a much different and a much better, more engaging situation. So you can always talk to them. Like, so that's kind of the model. I think that's why it's gotten so big, and there's big followings, is because you feel more a part of these people that you you idolize and look up to and are role models. And you can you can log on to whenever they're you know playing online for that four hour period and get tips and shortcuts or techniques from them because uh, they're either uh, they, they're they're live chatting as they're playing some of them right and and they'll 100%. and they'll engage with you exactly and you know there's something called like subscriptions so you can pay you know um, five dollars a month and you can subscribe to someone's Twitch channel and uh, they get sort of half of that. And then the person will say, you know, thanks, Dave, uh, from Texas for the subscription. It's like, and it's so cool to have your idol say your name on screen or um, talk to you in chat. And I think that's what people love about it so much. Yeah. 
So now when you're, so you said drafting. So do you, how do you scout players and find them and then woo them over to come play for your team? How do you, how do you do that? Yeah. So luckily we, we, as you mentioned, we, we run kind of between two to 300 events uh, in all sorts of different titles. So we see who's winning and um, we see them really early. Actually, a lot of people, a lot of kids are winning at 14, 15, 16. So it gives us the opportunity to find these players, you know, locally or even online um, that are competing in our tournaments and then get to them and make them an offer before anyone else can. Now, when you say make them an offer, are you talking about a financial offer? I mean, and how much do these people make for playing? Yeah, um, it really depends. A lot of the, most of the players are not on salary on our, cause we're sort of a developmental team. We're not, um, we're not in any pro franchise or pro league right now, although we we're making a, a bid to get into one. Um, so, but I, I, you know, salaries can be over, over a million dollars a year in, in League of legends and other big, you know, big titles like that. And the other thing that's very expensive is all these contracts that buy out big buyout clauses. So uh, you may sign a player to a two, three year deal, a million bucks each, but you may have a multi-million dollar buyout. So that's where a lot of money is trading hands. Oh, wow. Explain, explain that to me. So you, you buy out somebody else's contract so they can play for you. Yeah. So even, even with our contracts, just as an example, um, so we'll say we'll sign someone to a one-year contract. And if another organization wants that person during that 12 months, they'll have to pay a $10,000 buyout fee. Oh, wow. So that's how that's one of the revenue models for smaller developmental teams is that we're going to develop these players and then bigger orgs will buy them out and then we would get that revenue from the buyout. So right now you're like junior hockey for pro hockey, right? You're the you're the you're the the, the upper, upper level junior hockey league helping players develop their skills and then, you know, the uh, you know, the the Canadians will will see one of your players and they'll want them. And they'll pay you the buyout fee to bring them onto their pro team. But your your hope is to take your team pro, right? So you want to keep your talent if you can. Yeah, the only difference is, you know, we will be in, we're in like eight or nine different leagues or sports. So like we have a hockey team and a basketball team and a cricket team. Like, you know, we have so many. Right. So one of them will will have that supply chain that goes all the way up to pro. But a lot of the other ones we won't because it's in many cases, $25 million to enter the league. Oh, wow. So we won't be able to go pro. Um, so then our model will be, yeah, exactly. The minor leagues drafting, developing players that will go on to play for uh, pro and franchise leagues. So the, the reason that it's so expensive to get into these pro leagues is because the prize money is so great, right? What is some of the, what is some of the prize money in some of these leagues? Yeah, so with all esports, there's kind of two models. There's a franchise model and a non-franchised. So a franchise model, and some of them are city-based, is really like pro sports. It's like the NFL, the NBA, uh, NHL, where you pay a fee to the league and you buy a slot and you have a certain region or city, right? So in Call of Duty League, there's a Toronto team and there's a Dallas team and an LA. Uh, I'm wearing, this is the LA team in, in the Overwatch League. Um, and then some games are more like golf and tennis where if you're good enough you can qualify and it's a tour and there's major events and minor events so most most games right now tend to be the the qualifying you can get in um but there's three of them in particular that are franchised and you have to pay that 20 25 million dollars to get in okay 
And now let's talk about how you how you got into this in the first place. Were you were you into games growing up and you said, I, I want to figure out how to how to make money doing what I love? Or did you just see it as a great investment opportunity or both? Yeah, on the gaming side, I I got really good into university, but just at that time there wasn't really a bona fide esports scene, especially in Toronto. Like I didn't know how far I could have taken it. Um, I was playing, you know, NHL games at what I thought was a high level, who knows at that time if I was mm -hmm. that good, because there was no objective, you know, there was no standard, there was no big tournaments. Um, and then, you know, later in life, I went into finance. Um, I did start to invest in esports companies. I was raising money for esports companies through my investment bank. And then really just said, you know what, like a lot of these companies are not diversified um, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. So instead, what we did was uh, raise a bit of money, created a MOOC Esports, and then rolled up a whole bunch of venues, leagues, tournaments, media properties, all into one, um, you know, sort of diversified company. Okay. So now, so you have this, uh, so you still have a MOOC Capital that invests in all those, in all those assets? Yeah, I still have the investment bank. It's kind of on hold. Okay. Uh, it's a registered securities dealer, like all proper and everything. Um, and then Mookie Esports, it's like it's it's an operate it's an operational company, and that's where I spend a hundred percent of my time. Okay, and then is your is your plan for the future then to get so big that you could eventually be a publicly traded uh, esports uh, you know giant? Is that is that your plan for the future? Yeah, so this industry really evolves with size and scale. Um, there is so much M and A. There's more M and A in esports, I would beg to say, than most in uh, the rest of the industries combined. Uh, at least in terms of public market activity, every day someone's buying someone. It's a really huge race. Uh, we have announced a merger with a company called YDX Innovation, which is already publicly traded. Uh, so we're hoping to close on that transaction. Um, either by the end of the year or first quarter. So we will be on the, we will be the next esports company on the public markets. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Congratulations. And thank you. When, so how do you, uh, so I guess there are industry analysts who then follow esports uh, because it's a, it's a bona fide industry. If people are listening to this and they're intrigued and they want to do more research and, and try and figure out how they can either, you know, get involved. Like I, I work with lawyers and I have a couple of lawyers who are interested in breaking into esports and doing, uh, you know, doing work in the esports area, really kind of specializing in esports law. Or if they're an investor and they see how hot this is and they want to jump on it. Where can we do research? What's the best place to go to really immerse ourselves in the esports world and learn more about esports? It's a good question. Um, there's no one. I don't think there's like a one-stop shop. Um, there's a great, great podcast by uh, colleagues of mine, uh, The Business of Esports. Uh, so William Collis and Paul uh, Dalawibi. That's a great resource. Um, I think you can look at, there's a few esports and gaming ETFs. So it, those reports are good to read as they cover a good part of the industry. Now, there's a ton of companies that are in gaming that are publicly traded. Right. Um, all the game publishers, Activision, EA, Tencent, Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, um, Take-Two, there's tons. In terms of actual, actual like esports companies, there's probably about kind of 10 esports companies right now that that are like pretty pure play esports that are publicly traded uh i think about three or four in the u.s and there's a whole bunch in canada oh wow 
And why why is it such a big deal in Canada? Why are so many? Well, I'm sure it's a big deal here too. There's just not as many public companies. Is it because it's is it somehow easier to go public as an esports uh, company in Canada? Is that the reason why there are more publicly traded esports companies? Yeah, a couple things. We don't have a huge like venture capital community like you do in the U.S. Um, there's no like Silicon Valley and you know, like that infrastructure doesn't exist. So for companies that want to raise capital, they tend to have to go through the investment banking network, which wants to see companies go public earlier. Uh, I think also we're already, you know, Canada was a leader in the whole cannabis boom. And right. um, one of our exchanges, over 80% of the listings are cannabis companies. So they've already sort of seen that model on how like a no revenue company can make it onto a stock exchange in cannabis. Right. And they're really taking that with esports and a lot of early revenue companies. Um, you can get listed in Canada. It's very cheap. It's very easy. Um, so that's why a lot of Canadian companies do it. And some American companies also um, will come here to list. And then as they get bigger, try to move back to the NASDAQ or New York exchange. Okay. Now, why did you pick uh, setting up the, and I want to make sure I get this right. You picked the, setting up the event venue first as kind of your point of entry into this, right? Why did you pick the event venue uh, first? Because of the revenue stream? Yeah, um, definitely. You know, esports venues can do very well. Um, it's it's just there's a more established model, established business, and um, it's that physical space connects everything. So once you have that space, it's easy to create content. Now that you have a studio, uh, it's easy to run tournaments because you have the production and everything in house. Mm. It's easy. So everything, we have an, our own esports incubator, which lives in lives in the facility. So it was it was not just buying a venue. It was our H. It's our HQ. I'm here right now. This is my office. I come here every day. Um, so for all those reasons, it made it, it wasn't the first. I think it was like the second acquisition we pulled the trigger on. Oh, okay. uh, but it was definitely a big part of our early expansion. Okay, so uh, you're sitting around. How how long ago did you uh, did you really? Uh, get into this as your as your full-time business when you're so you're running uh you're running the fund you're running the uh the uh, investment firm and you decide you're going to get into esports you're going to dedicate 100 percent of your time to it what was your what was your business model uh what was your what was your thought process to get into it what were you how did you how did you decide, okay, we're going to do this first and then this second, and then eventually by this year, we'll be able to have a pro team. T take us through what your thinking was with your business model. Yeah, there's kind of like two aha moments for me that really said, you know, I should do this. One was I was at a, an esports uh, business convention and um, yeah, really entertaining and informative speakers. And I asked a very basic question about a, a big esports company that IPO'd in the US. And like this guy who's an analyst was like, never heard of him. And I was like, wow, if these are kind of like the leaders in esports, like, okay, you know, maybe like maybe my knowledge is a little is is greater than I thought it was um, in terms of the industry. And the second was, you know, we were raising money for a company and um, people just didn't trust the CEO and uh, he just wasn't a CEO. And we were kind of thinking like if we were running this company, we could raise the money because people would trust us and not this guy. Um, and that was also just kind of a light bulb went off that, oh, you know what, maybe we should raise money ourselves um, and then and then go go all in on it. And, then, and that's that's exactly what we did. Yeah. 
And so when you're when you're out pitching to raise funds, are you uh, what what are your what are your big so you you mentioned the revenue streams? What are your big revenue streams that people get all excited about? Obviously sponsorships. Um, you know, are people you know you said uh, you also mentioned uh, contract buyouts because you're going to be you're going to have a developmental team. What are some of the what are some of the real triggers that investors get excited about when you talk about them in an e, in an esports uh, fundraising pitch? Yeah, definitely sponsorships because it's the biggest category of revenue for the industry. Um, online is is extremely important. You know, it has been this year because of COVID and even beyond. So you know, can you monetize? It's much harder to monetize online because you know in Toronto I'm a premium gaming experience, and now I probably have. 70, 80% of the market share. So I don't have really anyone competing with me when I do a tournament. As soon as I go online, I'm competing with hundreds, probably thousands of other competitors. Mm. So it, and so the economics are way worse for me doing it online. So I think a lot of people want to know, like, how have you been able to make it online? And which we have, albeit not as good as it would have been in person. Um, that's a key factor. And I just think in general, they just want to know, like, how's this thing going to scale? How's it going to get bigger? Yeah. What's the, the when people said no to us in the beginning and even now it's still i like you guys but you're just too small like you know you got to get bigger and so that's where that mna comes in that's where the merger with ydx comes in is yes we're, we're we're doing good where we are but we really do need to get bigger and that's where that's our plan is to beef up and add more companies yeah. So talk about um, talk about that kind of growth model, because it's esports right now is is like the Wild West. Right. So you guys, yeah. you, you know, you were saying that there's there are literally acquisitions every day. Is that uh, is that your major growth plan? You're going to be like the General Electric of esports where you just devour up other or merge with other competitors until, you know, eventually you're the dominant brand in Canada and then take on the U.S. Is that is that your growth strategy? Um, yes and no. Um, I do for sure. There's has to be a lot of m a It's a eat or get eaten world. The, uh, but on the, at the same time, valuations are out of control. So for me to buy a team is insane. Like team valuations are going at 20 times sales, right? Like that's not a number that I'm ever comfortable. Wow, 20 times sales. That's crazy. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow. And most teams are not profitable, mm -hmm. so and have very little assets. It's just goodwill, your fan base. So I can't justify buying teams at those types of valuations. So there's certain verticals that I want to just build out myself because I'll just create far more value for our shareholders, which is my job as CEO is to protect and increase their shareholder capital. So to, to that extent, I'm going to roll out a lot of stuff myself and just get my hands dirty doing it. But there's certain verticals that I just feel I can't do. It would take too long or I don't have the right people on board and I would pull the trigger on an acquisition. And those tend to be more technology plays with more IP and more scalability. Okay. Um, how much of your job is looking over the, the gaming landscape, determining what team game is going to be the next big thing and you know getting folks either either your team that you're that you're launching now getting them up to speed and into it or you know fielding a new team with new people how much is that is it looking into the crystal ball and saying wow look at xyz game it had you know 20 million players last year it's got 50 million this year it's going to have 150 million next year how much of that goes into uh, your strategy 
Honestly, not enough. Um, I, I'm so involved in the day-to-day operations of the company that I honestly feel I don't spend enough time taking a step back, looking at the bigger picture. And, you know, if I'm going to be honest with myself, that has to be a priority for me uh, moving forward is to, is to do more of that. Um, I have a lot of great, you know, initiatives like I, I that I want to pull the trigger on and release. And I think I kind of just you need to spend more time doing that is like looking at the trends and looking at some of the data and, and figuring out our next couple of moves. Yeah. So if you, if you were to, if you were to kind of take a shot from the hip now, what do you think is, uh, what do you think is peaked? What is past peak as far as, uh, as far as games go and what is up and coming? Good questions, Dave. Wow. Okay. You're really, you, you're really making me think here. Okay. Um, games, um, kind of Overwatch, uh, which is a big league. We're, we're seeing some decline in the audience and the numbers. Other games like Dota 2, like we, we know pretty quickly which games that we're going to run tournaments in and which ones we don't. So those are two that have really slowed down. Um, ones that I've really picked up is, yeah, definitely Valorant. Um, Warzone is definitely one of the biggest games. And then we're also, we haven't really explored mobile games yet which is a huge part of it's not so big in in north america because we're all well you know affluent and can afford two and three thousand dollar computers or six hundred dollar consoles but the rest of the world that's how the game is mobile so that's one area i'd like to try to develop a bit more mm, interesting. Um, and in terms of kind of verticals uh, teams and media i i think again if you look back sponsors understand teams and media the most like a bank is not going to get why they're sponsoring a Fortnite tournament. It just doesn't make any sense, but they understand a team. They understand a, a Jersey sponsorship. They understand, you know, media, media views and audience. So I think because of that kind of working backwards, where do I think sponsors are going to put their money? I think it's going to be media teams and that's where I'm going to go. Um, and on the tournament side, I think it's more community building supports our venues and they're good money makers, but they're not as sponsorship driven. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, one of the things that shocked me and that really got me looking at this space uh, in a serious way was, um, when I was listening to, um, one of the, one of the folks who ran a league speak and they said, look, a lot of you out in the audience are parents and you're constantly dissuading your kids from playing video games and you want them to go out and shoot hoops in the driveway or you want them to go out and play street hockey and when the pond freezes go skate on the pond and you need to realize that in the next 10 to 15 years kids will be getting scholarships to go play esports in places that recognize the value kids can make a huge living and there will be people who make really nice livings, moderate livings, uh, being middle of the road esports players. And and this is the thing that really got me, Ben. The guy said, right now, the military, the U.S. Army, and the Air Force are recruiting gamers to fly drones because they're better than the people they can train. <laughs> and when he said that, I sat up and I thought to myself, oh my God, we're, you know, if we don't jump on this now, we're going to miss, this is like the internet back in the, back in the, you know, the beginning of the internet. This is going to be massive, massive. So if you 
were talking to somebody who's brand new about, um, you know, getting into doing research on esports. What's the what's the thing? What is the basic knowledge? Where do they go? What is the basic knowledge they need in order to really understand the world of gaming? Yeah. So just 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 so you know, today you can get a full scholarship at a co- at many colleges and universities for esports. That's awesome. That's not that's not even ten or fifty. That's like that was three years ago. Yeah. All so, right. Um, there you go. Already that's happening. And I think, you know, when uh, at last year's Fortnite World Cup, when a 16 year old won three million dollars, it was like every mother and father's worst nightmare, you know, because um, he showed that, hey, if you grind it out long enough in these games, you can have a huge payday. Um, I, I think, though, while it's it's important to that this is going to be big and everything, we have to also just talk about the risks. Like it's not all rosy and it's not all great. Um, There's a lot of issues related to gaming and and playing for long periods of time. There's a lot of mental health issues related to, um, you know, constantly the pressure and grinding it out and playing the same game. So um, I think mental health has to be a big part of the conversation when we talk about esports and, and playing. Overall, though, I for sure think it's a net positive because you have a whole generation of kids that are that couldn't play basketball or football and lack that confidence and just didn't fit in and didn't have that outlet. So I think esports gives that next generation uh, of kids that opportunity to build confidence and skill building and training and problem solving, critical thinking and all the skills you get with esports. So if you're a parent, um, so where, where are you going to go to start? I think it's kind of, you know, the, the conversation starts with your kids. What are you playing? How do you play? Um, when you play, do you have a mic on? And that's, that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, I play Fortnite with 30 guys who are in their thirties and forties. And sometimes when we don't have a fourth, we just let a random person come in. It automatically fills. And sometimes there's like a nine or 10 year old kid that comes in and, I'm not comfortable with that. And like that nine-year-old parent shouldn't be comfortable with that either. And I'm like, I'm a nice guy and, you know, I'm friendly and not toxic or anything, but still it's not normal. I don't think it's normal for kids who are nine and 10 and 11 to be playing online with a microphone, people who are my age or in their twenties. So parents have to have those conversations and be cognizant of the games and, and some of the risks. Yeah. Yeah. No, good. Uh, all, all good points. Um, as a as a business, what is your uh, what are your what are your big concerns? I mean, uh, let's talk right now first about about COVID and how it's impacted your business and um, what have you done to shift during the you know during the COVID era? Yeah, the first thing you know you have to make hard decisions. We had to let some people go. Um, there were a lot of things that were nice to have that we had to cut out. Um, you have to get leaner and you have to find a model that works during COVID. Like we very, very foolishly thought like by June, this would all be done and we're going to go back to normal. And uh, maybe a lot of people did too. I, I had no idea I'd be going into January really with the same issue that I had in March. So that's one is I for sure wasn't prepared for how long COVID would be, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, just, just moving, you have to pivot quickly and like, Right out of the gate, we said, okay, how can we make money without being open and identified, you know, three key areas, um, you know, media, equipment rentals, um, and online tournaments vis-a-vis sponsorships. And like, we got to double down on those. So, uh, but at the same time, you know, there's blood in the water and this is also a good time for us to look at, to 
to acquire other assets or sign new leases with new facilities as the price has gone down and a lot of competitors go under. So sometimes you got to just take advantage as well and be opportunistic. Sure, sure. And what is the what is the future look like for you? What are your so your uh you you formed uh, you formed the team right? You have and now Parabellum. We we uh, broke the news of the name here today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, although although this the, this will be out for weeks. But by the time by the time this airs, that name will be out for weeks. But you uh, you uh, esports enthusiasts out there, I just broke some news for you. Um, you did. So, you broke the news. Yeah. So uh, so Parabellum is formed. Is that it, what? How are you going to be spending? your time say in 2021 is that your main focus or are you are you 50 percent on focused on that is there a parabellum general manager how what's the structure for the team how does that work yeah um you know firstly i'm probably not going to build any more bricks and mortar locations immediately so the way i want to scale the bricks part of the business is through retail partnerships and campus so like I did a video on this that Best Buy has like the same square footage of stores as like almost the state of New Jersey. Wow. Like there's 34 million square feet of Best Buy locations and subsidiaries. So um, I want to take stores that are underperforming and I want two to 3000 square feet and I want to build venues inside of stores. Oh, and we're seeing that in, in the U S and Walmart's there's a few of them. So that's how I can scale to 20, 30 locations across this country and move to the U S um, and it doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, um, malls are the same thing. Retail, like the retail experience has changed. Like Nordstrom, um, you know, has restaurants and dining and like, it's no longer you just go to a store. It's a whole retail experience. And I think gaming is going to be a huge part of that fabric of the new, like the new retail so that's going to be a huge priority. The second is campus, is to build facilities actually on university campuses. Mm. So we're in talks to, to, to build three of them right now. Um, and then, yeah, kind of just personally, I'm an extremely competitive person, extremely competitive. So like, I, I think I'm going to be kind of like Mark Cuban is to the Mavs, the, the Dallas Mavericks, like very involved, cheering this team. I want to win. I want to win at all costs. So I think my passion is really going to be on the team side, but no, I'm, I can't actually spend 50% of my time. I wish I could on the team. I got to manage all of our other assets as well. You know, and thinking from a, you know, I, I approach this from just from such a business standpoint, the, so you're, it's almost like you're, uh, you're an e-commerce brand, but you have physical space. And when people are doing a value, you know, they're when they're valuing companies, they like physical assets, right? So down the road, will you have more physical locations? Will you pick other cities, maybe in Canada or in the U S because you got a venue that's successful as long as people are able to go to it. Is that, is that part of your business plan for the future? Yeah, definitely. I think I think you know land set they call them land centers or gaming mm -hmm. arenas uh, are definitely it's what I know it's what I love and yeah absolutely I want to build as many as possible. Uh, I do want to stay in Canada uh, for at least for the next year. I think it's important to sort of validate the the model in your own home market before you're quick to go. And also I'm in Toronto. Toronto's the fourth large. The, Greater Toronto area is, you know, the fourth largest city in North America outside of Mexico City, New York and L.A. So I'm not, you know, I'm not in Tulsa or, you know, 
Toledo where like, uh, you know, the market might not be big enough. I could stay in Toronto my whole life and building a huge, amazing business here and never leave if I wanted to. But so that's just the focus and also sponsorship as well. Like for us to get Canadian sponsors, they're going to want a Canadian audience. So sure. it may not add as much value by being in, you know, Texas and other markets right now. Sure. Sure. And what's the, what's the right size? Like, how do you, how did you determine uh, how much spectator space you'd have and how much, how many gamer stations? Like, how did you, how did you figure, uh, how did you figure that out? Did you just say, well, this is what the space will accommodate. So let's build it out. Yeah. So the, our, our flagship one here, I didn't have that luxury of building it out and making those decisions. Um, I just, I, I bought it after it was already in business and mm. everything was built out. Sorry if you hear some banging. They're doing some construction. <laughs> we, um, I, I can't, I can't hear it. So maybe it's okay. Just a, yeah, it's, okay, it sounds good. good to me. All right. Um, I got distracted by the no. You so we were talking about space and spectators. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely would design it a little bit differently. Um, I think you need five thousand square feet to make a nice esports venue. Can you do it with less? For sure, you could do it with a couple thousand square feet, but for playing. But if you, if you also want like a tournament and, a, and an experience that also is complimentary to viewing and watching, then I think you got to be in that four to 5,000 range. Okay. So here's, here's what I'd like to do. Uh, if you'd be so kind as to send us, just send us a couple of photos of, uh, of your venue in Toronto. We're going to put that, I'll put that on the website and I'll link to it in the show notes so that people can see it. Of course, I'm going to link to, uh, your website as well. Uh, Amuka esports.com, A M U K A E S P O R T S.com. So people can go there and look at your, your site is fantastic. Now you also do, you do a show too, right? So you said you made a uh, you made a video. I think that would be that would be interesting to our folks. So uh, I'm going to ask you to send me that link. We'll put the link in the show notes to that uh, to that video. But tell us about uh, tell us about your show that you do, so that people who are into esports can listen and can can watch the videos and really learn more about what you're doing and get a good overview of esports in general. Yeah, sure. You know, I, I consume a lot of esports content, news, analysis, commentary. And a theme that I always would see is kind of people would just take both sides. And I was kind of bothered by that. Um, I want people to have an opinion and own it. Like, that's what I want when I look at analysis of situations. I want people to tell me what's going on and tell me what their opinion is and own it. And that just didn't exist. So esports unfiltered is, you know, a more like vulgar take on a lot of the news stories and analysis, you know, in the industry. Um, I try to bring in subjects that are really not too gamey, that really are more macro. Um, I talk about Adderall uh, abuse in esports. I talk about uh, retail. Um, I have one coming out, how to build an esports portfolio, an investment portfolio. So I try not to focus on the, this guy said what, like, Firstly, you know, esports, it's a lot younger. So there's all these Twitter wars and drama. I try to stay away from that and focus more on bigger picture issues. And it's called Esports Unfiltered. And it's on a channel called Organized Gaming, which is our media brand. Okay, so it's Esports Unfiltered. And how do we, so if we, fi we want to find it, where do we, how do we find, you're dealing with a lot of people who don't know anything about esports. So how do we go find Esports Unfiltered? Yeah, there's a good chance just by putting in esports unfiltered into YouTube, you're going to get it. Okay. Um, or if you search organized gaming, that's the name of the channel um, where we have multiple shows, including that one is, is on there. 
Okay. Fantastic. And um, what is the what is your one big thing? If you could do one big thing in 2021, uh, you know, I, I, I I'll, I'll tell you right now, you have a magic wand. You could just wave it, and that this will come true. What would the one big thing be for uh, for uh, Ben Pfefferman for 2021? Make a lot of money, retire on the beach, and you know, <laughs> um, win a championship. I want to win. At the end of the day, I've always been competitive in sports and everything. So I'd love to get a slot in a professional league and I want to win. What do you go for 2021? That's great. What do you think is the um, is the game or is the league or is the tournament that you guys would have the best shot as a as a relatively new team? Where would you have the best shot right now? Yeah, it's going to be a game called Rainbow Six. Oh, okay, Rainbow Six. What's the what's the premise of the game? Yeah, so it's uh, it's created by a developer called Ubisoft, um, and uh, it's based on a very old computer uh, computer games. Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. Um, it's kind of got that counterterrorism espionage type of backdrop, uh, where it's a tactical game of defusing a bomb and and, and stopping it, uh, and it involves so much, so many cool technologies. There's drones and there's um, uh, messing up your data communications and it's a very very complex sort of tactical shooter um but it's it's pretty crazy to watch i don't play it myself i've only tried a couple times it's too hard for me uh <laughs> but i love the game and um yeah I, I just love the scene all right fantastic so rainbow six look for uh parabellum the parabellum esports team we broke that here for you it's been a fantastic opportunity to speak with the ceo of uh one of the hottest gaming brands in canada mr ben Fefferman. ben thanks so much for joining us i uh, i gave out the um I gave out the website earlier, but let's give it out again. Amuka Esports, A-M-U-K-A Esports.com. That's where you can find everything from Ben and his team. Ben, it's been such an honor having you. Thanks for joining us. And when you win your championship, we're going to have you back to talk about the journey and how you did it and your wisdom in drafting the team. Thanks for being with us today, Ben. Thank you. I'll come on with my ring next time. <laughs> All right. That'll do it, folks, for the Inside BS Show. We brought you Inside Esports today with Ben Pfefferman. It was a pleasure speaking to him. Those of you who are new, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you right back here again tomorrow for another edition of the Inside BS Show. Inside BS Show.